Well, good, good morning. I hope you got uh, some sleep. Um, I feel like a new man. I woke up at 4 a.m. though, because it's not 7 a.m. here, so uh, oh my goodness. Um, this also happens to be Veterans Day weekend, and I just wanted to honor those of you that have served in our military uh, in the past or currently. If that's you, would you just lift a hand up right now? Awesome. Awesome. God bless you. God bless you. We really, really do honor you. We thank you so much for, for your service, and uh, may God bless you and, and your, your family. Um, any of you work out? Like weightlift or whatever? Yeah, I don't either. Um, surprising to look at me. There's a couple of you, you won't admit it, because I saw a couple of you walk in, and, and you walked in like this. Did you see me walk in when I walk up? There's a big difference. I have a friend named Andy, and he is like the most active human being I've ever met in my life. Um, he was a professional soccer player, then he uh, was the head of a SWAT team, and then he now writes uh, articles for Muscle and Fitness magazine. He's got muscles in places I don't even have places. Uh, <laughs> and I was trying to figure out like, how I could start. We're gonna use that instead. Okay. I was trying to figure out how I could start um, working out a little bit. So I asked Mandy, what kind of exercise should I do? And he said, well, Ron, the best kind of exercise for you to do is the kind that you'll actually do. <laughs> Thank you, Oprah, for that little tidbit of wisdom. And then he said, Ron, your, your body wants to move. And I said, no, Andy, my body wants to eat chocolate cake while I sleep. That's basically my preferred way of living. I don't like weightlifting because you look stupid when you weightlift. You do. I've seen you. You have the bar and you start to push it up and you, the lip starts to curl. This is not attractive. And they put mirrors on all the walls so you can see how stupid you look. I go in. They've got those towels there. I just put it over my head so I can't embarrass myself or scare small children. There's seat belts. Seatbelts, you guys, on the machines. Am I going to get in a head-on collision while I'm doing leg lifts? I don't think so. I guess there's some value to working out, but it's just, it's not my thing. I know that there's, there's value to having hard muscle. But when it comes to your heart, it's the last thing that you and I want to be hard or hardened. To have a hard heart is a real tragedy, and there's a lot of ill effects that come with being uh, hard-hearted. The reality is, is our hearts are really subject to influence. And so when you are under the influence of an environment that is really good and healthy in your relationships, in your work, at school, when you're in a place that is healthy in all regards spiritually, if you're sitting under the goodness of God on a regular basis, 
that will have an effect on your heart and my heart. But the opposite is true. When you are saturated in the bad, in the evil, in the sinful, the longer that you and I are in that place, it has an effect on our hearts. Last night we started talking about the heart and we were reminded in Proverbs that the heart is the the wellspring of life, that we are called to guard it and protect it above all else because everything we do flows from here. And so when we are saturated with too much bad, that should be an alert for me and you. Girls, it should be an alert for you. If you're in toxic relationships at school or if you're an adult in an unhealthy set of friendships, watch out. Dads, the same sort of thing. You're at a workplace that can be toxic. You're in toxic relationships or whatnot. The alarm should start to sound because over time, those things will affect you. Too much of the heavy, too much of the hard, too much of the sinful, that will have an effect on our hearts. If you carry yourself down a road, that is filled with disobedience to God and sin, that's going to have an effect on your heart. Timothy talks about it in terms of of people who have their consciences seared as if with a hot iron. You ever burn yourself really badly? Once that pain goes away, well, it kind of kills the nerve endings there, and you can't really feel anything in that particular area anymore. And sin has a desensitizing effect on our hearts. It's a really bleak issue for me and you. And the more that we, we go that way, the more that we walk towards sin, then the more desensitized and hearts, our hearts become to the voice of God and the tenderness of God and the word of God and the spirit of God. The trauma of the world can be too much, too. Sometimes what's tagging your heart isn't a result of your own choices or sinful behavior. My goodness, we look around, what's going around in this globe right now? Racial injustice and wars and the breakdown of the family. And I mean, I don't have to describe it or paint a picture. I mean, we're surrounded by negative and unhealthy all the time. And if we're not coming, bringing our hearts before the Lord on a regular basis, then too much of what's just going on in this sinful, broken world is going to have a hardening, desensitizing effect on our our hearts. With regard to the Lord, our hearts can be like a sponge or they can be like a rock. And I really believe that the Lord would have us have these soft, sponge-like hearts. If you take water and you pour that on a rock, what happens? The rock gets wet and it runs right off. You pour water on a sponge and what happens? It soaks that up. And actually then you could transport that sponge somewhere else and then wring out the water onto someone else or something else. See, when the Spirit of God, we're kind of saturated in that in our hearts, then all of the goodness we absorb. And then wherever we go, then his love, his grace, his goodness 
can make its way out of us. But with hard hearts, then what we've got, we're very easy to, to miss what he has for us. You think about even Israel. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, there's this kind of odd reference to what God is going to do someday with his people. And he uses this language. I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And that's such a good picture even of like the gospel, what Jesus did for me and you. Like we were, we were lost. We were dead to sin. I had to rock hard heart. But praise be to God, he didn't like stay off, he didn't stay away. He pursued me through Jesus Christ, and he's loved me all the way to the end. And when I put my faith and trust in him, he gave me a brand new heart. Now, I'm still in a sinful, broken world that will tag this heart. I'm still prone to go my own direction, which will also tag this heart and harden this heart. But God's the one that can do the softening. He's the one that can bring the, the healing. So a good question that, that I, would, I would encourage you to, to ask each other. Dads, ask your daughters this this weekend. Daughters, ask your dads this this weekend. Daddy, how's your heart? That's such a great question. In the context of what we're talking about here, it's very hard to be surfacey when you get asked that question, how's your heart doing? Really? How are you doing on the inside? Now, some of you, you go, I, I don't even know. That's okay. I get that. That's why we reach out to God and we pray to him, Lord, search my heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and then lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting, but also lead me to some clue about how my heart's actually doing. Others of you know full well how your heart is doing. Uh, it's okay. Or um, it's not great, and here's why. Here's what's going on that has hurt my heart. And, and that's just a bonding question. That's good for friendship. It's really good for dads and daughters to have those sorts of questions. Because when our hearts are hardened, when our hearts are broken, when our hearts are longing for something, then here's the danger. We will go looking to someone else or something else to make us not feel that way anymore. And so some really good indicators begin to spring up that could help you answer the question, how's your heart? If you asked yourself that question just before the Lord right now, Lord, I want to know how my heart's doing. You know, if there's an awful lot of arrogance and pride in your life, that can often be an indicator that there's some hardening of your heart. If there's just a real stubbornness or a, a Bible phrase, stiff-necked sort of nature to you, then there's a chance that that's kind of emanating from a harder place right in the middle of you, in your heart and in your soul. If you find yourself like numbing out constantly, like doom scrolling through your phone, through social media, numbing out to binge watch TVs, you don't have to think about anything ever. If you're numbing out, maybe overeating, overspending, there's a number of ways that would indicate, okay, 
that, that might have to do with something going on in here. Maybe you're wrestling in the people area. And if there's a hardening or a hurt heart, then you, you might be responding to people by avoiding people. You just don't want to be around. The more distance, the better. Or sometimes we compensate the other way. And we're so codependent and we, we were people pleasing so far, like our whole identity is wrapped up in what other people think of us. But it's really just a way to kind of mask some hurt or hardening that's going on on the inside. Maybe you've found yourself just really overly sensitive lately. Somebody will make a comment and it will cut you to the quick right away. Because your heart it's already broken. It's already hurting. And they didn't know what they were really saying or that it would hit you that particular way, but it did. Maybe you're overly sensitive, and that's an indicator of what's going on in here. Maybe you're overly sensitive in kind of an anger way, and you, you get real snippy. And that's back to out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's so many indicators about how our hearts are doing. So, so stop. Stop now, but I'd encourage you at some point today, would you please do this? Pause and just ask each other, how's your heart doing? How are you really doing on the inside? And then if there's answers, then that leads to more discussion. If it's an I don't know, then let's just be praying together about that. If it is, I know what the deal is, then now we're not just addressing a behavior issue. We're getting to the root, which is the heart. And so stopping this or starting that might not be the answer. It might have to do with something that the Lord wants to do in you, you guys. That goes for you if you're a kid or you're an adult. If you're a, a, a daddy or you're a daughter. How's your heart is a good question to keep before you and the Lord and before each other on a constant basis. I... Uh, I shared a little bit last night about some of the stuff that tagged my heart and some of the dads early in my life that, that hurt me and hurt my heart. I eventually got that dad that I mentioned that was amazing and uh, actually was so phenomenal. When I turned 18, he adopted me and uh, I, I, I took his last name and um, it was just this amazing celebration. What was cool about that, about having my stepdad adopt me, um, was as an adult at 18, was that he knew me and I knew him. He knew like the stuff that I was good at, but he knew more importantly, like how goofy I am and the mistakes that I'm prone to. And he chose to adopt me anyway. And that was life-changing for me. It was such a picture of what my heavenly father had been wanting to offer to me all along. He knew everything about me. And we, he wanted to adopt me into his family. My heavenly father had that mindset and heart set toward me and toward you. But that's what made it so much harder. When I was 28, he was 48. And he and my mom went on vacation to Ireland. It was a dream vacation for uh, my mom. She'd wanted to go there forever on my side of the family. That's like our heritage is, is all that direction. And on the first full day there in Ireland, uh, my adoptive dad had a massive heart attack at 48 years old, and we lost him. 
My mom did CPR on him on a hillside all alone for 45 minutes before another human being showed up. And watching that, living through that, um, man, that made me angry. And it really hurt. That left a mark. I was a youth pastor by that point, so I knew too much to doubt that God existed. But that whole season made me not like him very much, if I'm being honest. I don't know if you ever had those moments. I imagine you have. If you haven't, I pray that you don't. But my heart was hurting, and it was hurting so much that I didn't want it to hurt so much, so here's what I did subconsciously. I hardened my heart. I couldn't stand watching my mom hurt anymore. I couldn't stand the hurt that I was feeling. I'm naturally wired as a very empathetic person anyway, and so the hurts of other people affect me a lot, and I just couldn't take it. It was too much. And before I even knew what was happening, some combination of what the enemy had in store for me and what I was willingly participating in led to a hardening of my heart for a season. I just wonder for you guys, like, just taking stock, how's your heart? Do you know how much grace God has for you? Do you know he's fully aware of what it is to be human? Jesus took on flesh, became like us in every way, yet was without sin. And so he knows how hard it is to be human. He knows what our hearts face with regard to temptation, regard to trials and suffering, and the effect that it has on our hearts. And yet he's still got an answer. He's still got the hope. There is a direct correlation between the softness or the softening of our hearts and the time that we spend with Jesus. See, it's a little counterintuitive. I was so upset at him for allowing something like that or whatever that I spent a season where I was just like, oh, I don't, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to ask how's my heart. I don't want any of this. And I had really, over time, disconnected from Jesus. And he was the source to bring the healing, to bring the softening, but I was disconnected. And so when your heart starts to hurt, we've got a track record of people in the scriptures and the Psalms are filled with all of these very honest prayers. People praying super honest, God, where are you? God, all the evil people are succeeding and I got this junk going on, what's up with that? God, do you even care? God, are you there? God, what in the world's going on? He's big enough to handle that. And we can be honest with him. But I love in those Psalms, because there's always a turn where they go from being honest to saying, but I know what's true about you, God. And I know you're on my only hope. There's no amount of binge watching this or hanging with him or hanging with her or avoiding this or avoiding that's going to fix what's going on in here. Only you can do that. And that's the truth for us today, too. If you have your Bible, take a look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Near the end of your Bible, if you're not familiar, probably quickest to go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you'll find this book of Hebrews. While you're making there to Hebrews 3, there's a similar thing 
that kind of talks about hard-heartedness in Mark chapter 8 that I just want to, to reference for you. Jesus with his disciples, and they're all, all wise, wide open to what he's up to. And in Mark chapter 8, something interesting happens. Jesus already fed the 5,000. They've seen that miracle take place where he provided food for thousands of people from a couple fish and a little bit of bread. It's a little bit after that. He's now fed 4,000 people in a very similar fashion, miraculously provides the, the feeding of thousands of people. And the disciples witnessed that too. Then they get in a boat and they start across this sea. And then they turn to each other and realize, oh, we've forgotten bread. Now, having seen how Jesus has been providing in the past, you'd think that these guys would go, oh, we're fine. But they were like, oh, no, what are we going to do? We, we only brought one loaf, and there's all of us here. This isn't going to be enough. And then Jesus starts to talk to them about the yeast of the Pharisees, and they just don't get it. They're like, no, Jesus, you missed it. Like, we're hungry and we only have one loaf of bread here, what in the world is going on? And then he asks them a series of questions in Mark chapter 8, centered around a question about being hard-hearted. And he says, do you not hear? Do you not see? Do you not understand? Do you not remember? Are your hearts hardened? And so maybe kind of a working definition of hard-heartedness can be an inability to see, hear, understand, or remember what God's up to. And that's another helpful tool if you're processing where your heart's at. If you're having trouble seeing God at work, if you're having trouble hearing his voice, if you're having trouble understanding what's going on, if you're having trouble remembering what he's done for you or others in the past, it might be that there's some heart damage here. And that should kind of get your attention. That sort of heart damage, there's a track record throughout all humanity of that. So you are not alone in having this sort of struggle. And Hebrews chapter 3 echoes a very similar thing. Look at verse 7. So, as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me. Here's a handful of things that always get our hearts into trouble. One of them is to hear the voice of God and disobey. You want to have a desensitizing effect, a hardening effect on your heart and my heart, then just hear what God has to say and then go do the opposite. That'll have an effect on your heart. Also, look, it says, during the time of testing of wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. Another thing that will get your heart and my heart into trouble is just total ignorance to the ways of God. See, it's not so much that you've heard and then disobey, but what also get your heart 
in trouble is just to really not know who God is, not know his ways, not know his nature, not know his character. Because if you don't know him, you're not going to trust him. And if you don't trust him, you're not going to obey him. And if you're not going to obey him, then there's the effect that's going to happen. And you're going to go looking for someone else to satisfy the hurt that you've got in here or something else. So get, gets our heart in trouble is hearing and disobeying. What gets our heart in trouble is just full-on ignorance to the ways and the character and nature of God. But then also I believe this is true. Look at verse 12. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, what will get our hearts in trouble big time, you guys, is also if we try to walk through life alone. And, And the beauty of God is he's given us himself. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. And he's given us each other. To be an encouragement. Because it will just continue to hurt our hearts Harden our hearts if we got to go through life alone, if we got to go through life without any awareness of who God is, if we got to go through life hearing his voice and rejecting it. But the opposite is true then. What will have a tremendous effect on your heart and my heart, whether it is hard or just needs a little strengthening, God will go to work on your heart every single time if you hear his voice and you obey him. He'll go to work in healing and restoring your heart every single time. If, if you get to know him better, seek him out. Really ask him to reveal more and more of his love for you and his heart for you. That'll go to work on your heart. And it's always going to be good for your heart if you do it together with another brother and sister in Christ, if you go through it with your dad, if you go through it with your daughter, you go with it together as a family, you go with it with some good friends, that is good medicine for our hearts because we can't do this alone. The enemy wants to separate you from God and separate you from everybody else. Isolation is his dream for me and you. But the Lord operates in unity. God himself is one, but he's a relationship of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in perfect unity with himself. And he also has called us into perfect relationship, where we can be an encouragement to each other every single day. And we sit under the waterfall of his goodness, and it saturates our hearts. It penetrates our hearts. And then now wherever we go, then his goodness overflows out of our hearts, out of our mouths, out of our hands, out of our actions, our behavior, all of it, the goodness of God spills out onto each other. That's his hope and desire for every single one of us. Many years ago, I was a youth pastor, and there were three kids 
in our youth group that were really stepping up and they, they were having the love of Jesus deeply affect them. They were in junior high. And these three guys were uh, really trying to put their hearts before Jesus. And week in and week out, you could just see the growth and see the, the change in them. Well, they'd sit at school every single day. They went to the public high school. They were in kind of a, a popular group of, of friends. And they started to notice in their lunchroom, there was one kid that always sat alone all by himself every single day, ate alone. No one in this whole school year had ever eaten with this kid alone every single day. And one of the three that were having their hearts affected by Jesus spoke up at the lunch and they said, I think we need to go eat with him. And the other two said, I, I don't know, I mean... If we go eat with him, then we're going to get made fun of and bullied and picked on just as much as he gets made fun of and bullied and picked on. I don't know if I want to get into that. And another one of the kids says, you guys, we know Jesus would get up and go eat with that kid. And the other two said, you're right. And they got up and they walked over. They brought their lunches. They sat down with the kid that had been bullied and left alone the whole time. And they started to eat with him. And it took him two weeks before he even was able to like respond because he was just waiting for them to pull the rug out. They, he thought it was a big prank. He thought that they were gonna bully him or they had ulterior motives or whatever. And once they realized they didn't, then he really kind of just settled down a little bit. And they eventually invited him to our youth group and he showed up. They were hanging out with him outside of school and then they bring him to church. and. And over the course of the next month or two, I saw Jesus go to work on that kid. So much so that that kid gave his life to Christ. And what was such a beautiful picture about it was, it was about a month or two after that, where these boys brought in all four, the three that had been there and the one who had just uh, been impacted so deeply by them. They all came into my office and they brought in this letter the kid that had been eating alone for months and months and months had written a letter to these boys that he had given them and they brought it in to show me. And the letter was a thank you note to these boys. But in that thank you note, he included another note. And it was a note that that kid had written that he was gonna take his own life. And it was dated the day that they went over and sat down and had lunch with them the first time. And the suicide note was actually addressed to God. And it's been too long, but it was something along the lines of, God, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you care. I don't know if this is a waste of time or not, but I'm telling you, I need help. So please help me. If I don't get help today, I don't know how much longer I can last. That was the day that those boys got prompted by the Spirit of God to get up and go sit down with somebody else that nobody wanted to sit with. And that is the overflow of the goodness of God. It started with this kid just reaching out to God, just kind of mysteriously going, I don't know if you're there. And then some other teenagers going, uh, God, I want to be affected by you in a way that's impactful to other people. And then the ripple effect was huge. They stayed friends then all through high school. And that one kid that was about to end his life has now dedicated his life to social work and especially in a counseling setting to people who wrestle with suicidal and depressive thoughts. 
and he's still following Jesus. All four of them are. And that is the beauty of this. We all have hearts that are hurting and subject to influence of all the evil and all the junk around us. And our hearts are prone to wander. But we've got a God that's bigger than that and stronger than that and better than all of that. He's given us his love. He's given us his son. And he's given us each other to help heal some brokenness in here. So let's take today, in quotes, and encourage one another with that truth and see what it does to our hearts. Amen? And so gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for these amazing people that are here. Thank you for your love for them. And thank you for a day where we get to encourage each other. Thank you for a day where we get to uh, have a tremendous amount of fun and just enjoy the relationship of father and daughter together. Pray that that would do some amazing work on our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.